Well, thank you for joining us as we continue our series. And our series is called Word of the Wise. We're looking at a book of the Bible called Proverbs, which really talks about the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And so we've been trying to read together a different chapter of Proverbs every day for the month and try and learn how to deal with our own foolishness and how we also can uh, become a little wiser. But the truth today is we're going to deal with not only our own foolishness, but also how do you deal with the foolishness in other people? Because the world is filled with fools, and they do not know who they are. They show up at family reunions, they show up in workplaces, they show up at gas stations, they show up at restaurants, they show up certainly where you work and I do. And what we're going to find today as we study, we're going to look at the the idea that the Bible chains ideas together. So Proverbs is Hebrew poetry, but unlike uh, maybe American poetry where we rhyme sounds, uh, they rhyme ideas. And so what the author will do is he will chain uh, a word like a fool, then he'll chain different concepts of fool next to it. And so part of understanding Hebrew poetry is learning how to chain things together. Now, if you remember, there was a game show years ago called Chain Reaction that did this very thing. You had to get from one word up top to the word in the bottom. We're going to do that a little bit today to give you the idea of how the Bible chains different ideas together when it comes to foolishness. We'll put the first one on the screen and see if you can help me along. So we're going to try and get from party to light. Because what we're going to discover today is that fools need light in their life, but they reject the light. So how do we do that? So we're going to use two words, party blank. What is a party A word? That guy is such a party animal. Good, party animal. Now we're going to get from animal to see. Animal crackers. Good job, animal crackers. All right, cracker jack. Man, you guys are better than I am. All right, jack hammer. Good job, jack hammer. Hammer, hammerhead shark. Yes, hammerhead, which gets us to headlight. So you can see how these ideas chain with each other. All right, let's do one more. Next one we'll start with wise, because we're going to talk about how to be wiser. We're going to end with child. All right, wise G. What's a wise G? Wise guy, wise guy. This one's a little tough. Guy. Most people call it a guide wire, but it's actually called a guy wire, if you look it up. A guy wire is a thing that directs you in where to go. Wire tap. That's right, wire tap. Tap. Dance, that's a perfect example of that. Dance, step, good, and step, child. So you can see these ideas build off one another. Let's do two more. You guys are much better than I was. Simple. I really wish for the simple life. Yes, life insurance, right? Life insurance. And if you have life insurance, you have to make an insurance claim, all right? And then claim, claim check, I believe. I, I messed it. Claim check, yes, claim check, and then check book and bookworm. All right, last one, fool, foolhardy, yes, foolhardy, hardy boys, boys choir, no, club, actually club, yeah, that would work too, club, club, house, house, party, and party favor. All right, so you can see again how these ideas are chained together, and you can start with something like foolishness, and you can end up with favor. And so we're going to look today at how we deal with our own foolishness, and the Bible is very, very practical on this. The Bible is going to teach you that when you're interacting with people, that there are three types of people that you interact with. And one-size-fits-all approach does not work. 
The way you interact with this type of person will not work with this type of person. And how you interact with this type of person will not work with this type of person. One size does not fit all. And if you took, maybe in your grad school or uh, your MBA, you took a class on situational management, you remember how they taught different styles of management when you're developing people. So when you're developing people in an organization, for example, what do you do? Well, you do things differently. So maybe you start off with the S1, you're directing somebody. You know, there's not as much emotional connection as much as here's what I need you to do, here's what's expected, high, high directive approach. Very, very detailed, high, high accountability. It's directing. And you're hoping that person gets it or develops enough that they become somebody you can coach. Still be highly directive. Hey, you might want to rethink about that. But now there's a lot of high supportive behavior. And you really can do this. I'm really impressed the way you took that project. Now there's a high structure and a high emotional content. You're directing this person differently from an S1. Hopefully as the person develops and grows, you're going to move to the place of supporting. You've given the principles. There's not as much direction anymore. This is true for your kids too, right? Early stages, they're S1. Here's what do, don't do that, don't do that. Get in the car, put on your seatbelt. Then you can do it. Oh, I really like the way you. As they become teenagers and adults, you're hoping to move into the supporting role. You don't control what they do. You don't tell them what to do. You're in the primarily the low directive but high supportive. I'm your greatest cheerleader mode. To develop them into the delegating mode where you can be low supportive and they're kind of off on their own. They're calling you as a consultant, right? Different size approach for different people at different stages. This is true for parenting. It's true for dealing with difficult people. This is true in, in business. And so maybe in our vernacular, it would be like saying there's different strokes for different folks. Right? It's different strokes for different folks. And the Bible describes three types of folks and three types of strokes for interacting with them so that we can learn how to motivate people and develop people without being manipulated by people. Because we're going to find one group in particular is really good at manipulating you. Now, to do that, we've been learning a technique. And the technique is when you study a book of the Bible, we've encouraged you, whatever the date on the calendar is, July 7th, open up Proverbs chapter 7. July 20th, open up uh, Proverbs chapter 20. And then reading that whole chapter, it's like one page, and just using two pens, a black pen and a red pen, circle anything that's foolish in blue, anything that's wise in black. So, for example, in this passage, wisdom calls aloud outside. So wisdom wants to be heard. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. So wisdom is available. It's speaking to us. It wants us to incorporate into our life. And it's talking about the fool. Now in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, fools are called the simple, the naive, and the foolish, and the scoffers. Here they use the word simple. How long, you simple ones, or you naive ones, or you foolish ones, will you love your foolishness or your simplicity? So this is how long will the fool love their foolishness? How long will the naive love being naive? For scorners, and so here's how he rhymes the idea. Simple and a scorner rhymes. They're the same thing. So a person who's a scorner is simple or a fool. Scorners delight in their scorning. They're kind of proud of being foolish. They're proud of scorning other people's feedback. They're proud of not taking other people's advice. So here's something a fool does. A fool rejects other people's advice and is proud of it. Fools hate knowledge. Again, see the word fool here, which shows us it rhymes with simplicity. They hate knowledge. They hate feedback. So turn at my rebuke. So there's, oh, there's a good idea. When somebody rebukes you, turn at the rebuke. Surely wisdom's talking. I will pour my spirit on you. If you want wisdom, receive it and I'll give you more. I will make my words known to you. 
Next part. Because I have called and you refused. Fools refuse when wisdom calls. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Fools do not regard the truth. Because you disdained. Oh, it's not just disregard. You disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Won't even respond to rebukes. I, wisdom speaking, also will laugh at your calamity. Well, isn't that interesting? When you don't take feedback as a fool, and then you disdain it, and you reject it and reject it, and then you end up facing the consequences, how does wisdom feel? Wisdom laughs when you finally have to face the consequences of what you didn't think was going to happen. I, wisdom, will mock when your consequences or terror comes. Whew. A lot of interesting, unusual pieces of wisdom in there. Now we're going to unpack that in the rest of chapter 1 and a few other Proverbs to look at these three types of people. But I, I mentioned when you're doing this in your own, you can make two columns in a Word document. And just as kind of a devotional time or a, a reading time or a journaling time, just write in what you came up with, what are some of the insights of what foolish people do and what wise people do. So what we just learned is fools keep making the same mistake. Fools don't pay attention. Fools disregard advice. And fools don't accept rebuke. We learned that wise people, wisdom's calling to be heard to you. Wisdom repents when it is rebuked. It listens when wisdom calls you. But also, wisdom knows that it's okay to uh, let people face the consequences of their action because wisdom laughs when you ignore her. You will eventually discover that wisdom is true. All right, so with that in mind, let's look at these three types of people. The first type of folk is the wise. Wise people, and, and there's a little wise person in you, there's a little wise person in other people. But when we look at these three types of people, the wise, the foolish, and the dangerous, all three exist in all of us. So there's a lot of humility in knowing that all three are in me. But sometimes when you're interacting with somebody, the wise person is driving. Other times you interact with somebody and the foolish person inside them is driving. Other times you interact with somebody and the dangerous or evil version of them is driving. And depending on who's driving, the different folks is going to determine the different strokes you use. The wise people, a wise man, here's how you'll know if you're interacting with a wise child, a wise employee, a wise boss, a wise company. Wise people hear, and because they hear and listen to feedback, they increase in learning, they grow. A man of understanding, that rhymes with a wise man, will attain wise counsel. He seeks out wise counsel. And here's the thing about wise people. Whether you say it nicely or not, it's always preferred to say it nicely. Wise people look for good feedback even when it's communicated poorly. Wise people want to learn. Wise people want to grow. Wise people, when you bring light into their life, they think about it. They look for truth in it. And then they adjust their life to the newfound light. So if you're dealing with a child who's wise, or at least a wise person's driving, or a teenager, or a sister-in-law, or whatever, there's a certain way to interact with that person. Now, Sheila Heen wrote a book. She was a Harvard negotiator. She wrote a book called Thanks for the Feedback. It's a fascinating book. Because what she found is as they studied negotiation across all industries, they found that people in general are horrible at giving and receiving feedback. And so for years, they trained and trained and trained the best way to give the feedback. How to give positive feedback, how to give negative feedback. What they realized is no matter how good you got at giving feedback, the person who really determined whether or not the conversation worked was the receiver. 
And no one had ever been trained on how to receive a feedback. And our tendency is not to be wise when you receive feedback and hear it, understand it. Let me see where you're coming from. Our tendency is to get defensive. You're just blowing us out of proportion. So they began to train people on how to receive feedback. They said one of the problems in the human psyche is that we are really, really good at wrong spotting. Wrong spotting. Wrong spotting is we'll find one little piece wrong with what your spouse said, what your parents said, what your kids said, what your boss said, what an employee said. And so you wrong spot and say, because one piece is wrong, I can disregard it all. Because I didn't really like or want to hear it anyway. But instead of wrong spotting, look for right spotting. Is there anything true in this, even if it wasn't said well, even if I don't like what was said, that I might apply to my life? They're teaching people to be wise. So it's a great book if you want to read it. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more in about a second. But very, very helpful in realizing none of us have been trained to receive a feedback to be wise. Now, the Bible says that when you're dealing with a wise person who has a track record of listening, those folks need a specific type of stroke, which is that you interact with them with reason, rebuke, and light. Rebuke means to correct a behavior or to correct a belief. So when you're interacting with a wise child... When you're interacting with a wise employee, you rebuke them. You correct them. Hey, hey, that didn't really work out real well. What you said in the meeting, I'd really prefer if you. I think it'd be helpful if you rebuke a wise person. And what happens? He's going to love you. She's going to love you. And thanks. Thanks for coaching me. Thanks for developing me. Thanks for caring enough about me to want to develop me. What do you do? What, what kind of stroke do you do for a wise person? You give them instruction to a wise man. And you know what will happen? There will be no lid on that person. They'll be wiser still. What do you do with a wise person? You teach them. And you know what happens when you teach them? They get increased in knowledge. You bring light into the life of a wise person and they get wiser still. So if you interact with a wise person or child or parent, use reason, use rebuke, and bring light. Hey, you may not realize this, but... I had two interactions with this over the last couple of years. I was doing some speech coaching with some folks and sat down with one person who had spoken many, many years ago with us and I said, hey... Um, are you open to some feedback of ways, some things you really did well in that message, but I think some other things I could help you even be more effective. So we sat down at lunch, and he said, you know, can I just be honest? I said, well, I, I guess it's better than lying. <laughs> he goes, no, I, I don't think I can, I can hear much critique. So well, tell me more about that. So I think I put so much of myself into this that, that I think any critique I hear, no matter how nicely it's said, I just take it too personally, and so I, I'm just really not open to feedback. Oh, I appreciate the honesty, but that person just put a lid on their ability to grow. Contra said someone else came years ago, and I always give feedback to our guest speakers. And so I was talking to our guest speakers, and, and I said, hey, this really went well. We'd love to have you come back again. Here's some things you really, um, I thought were really, really effective. Here's a technique you used that was really good. I said, but can I share with you the last 10%? This is somebody who had trained me years ago on using that phrase. Can I tell you the last 10%, that 10% of feedback that usually is the most important that none of us actually give because it's the scariest part of the feedback? I said, the last 10% is we really try and train our communicators at Horizon not to read off their notes. And, and you were a great manuscript deliverer, but I really, I don't know if you've been doing this for this long, if you can really practice being the kind of communicator who's not stuck in, in their notes the whole time. This person said, you know, I'm really not. 
I appreciate the manuscript delivery has its weaknesses, but that's really what I've been doing. But thank you for giving me the last 10%. I'm probably not a good fit. Two different people, two different feedback, two different reactions. One could be rebuked and could even thank you for it. The other could not. Now, wise people are going to learn if you tell them well or if you don't. They're just going to learn. They learn from their friends and they learn from their enemies. What could I learn here from even my enemies? Wise people will love you for telling them the last 10%. Now, most of us aren't wise. And most of us haven't reached that level of wisdom. And most of us aren't managing or parenting people who the wise man or woman is driving most of the time. So the Bible gives us a second category. The second category of folks is the fool. Now the fool, also called simple, naive, and the scoffer, how long, you simple ones, you naive ones, you foolish ones, are you going to keep loving your simplicity? Keep doing the same naive things over and over again? The Bible talks about how the fool, that wise people see danger coming. The fool keeps going and suffers for it. It calls them a scorner. Scorners delight in their scorning. So scorners is somebody who scorns the truth. I don't have to listen to that. Oh, you're not my boss. Ah, come on, you don't know what you're talking about. And a scorner actually is proud of their scorning. They delight in their scorning. They're proud of the fact that I don't listen to other people. You might say, oh, okay, I see a little of that in me. There's a little of that in all of us, right? If you're a leader, at some point you've, you've scorned or refused conventional wisdom to make your own path. There's a difference between being a maverick and being unconventional and scorning wisdom. The fool rejects wisdom. In fact, to use our light metaphor, if you look at the next part of the passage, it goes into some detail. Fools adjust the light to their life. Meaning you bring wisdom to a fool. Hey, son, daughter, employee, I'm really concerned in the meeting today. You said such and such. I'm really concerned about your performance in this area. I really, you know, I thought we talked about you being home by 10 p.m. When you bring light into the life of a fool, they do not adjust their life to the light. They adjust the light. What's wrong with you? You're too sensitive. You're mean. You're being mean to me. You're being nasty to me. You shouldn't say this. I'm not appreciated around here. They reject the light so they don't have to adjust their life. Yeah, isn't there a fool in you? Haven't you seen that come up in a marriage conversation? Haven't you seen that come up with your kids? When your kids had a good point, you could listen to it. Because I'm the parents, you're living my home. Okay, that doesn't mean that they don't have anything good to say. You rejected the light because it came from your kids rather than thinking about your life. So there's a fool in all of us. But here's what fools do. Fools hate knowledge. They turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out. You're supposed to turn, not hate it. Because I have called you, you refuse. They refuse the light. They don't regard the light. They disdain the counsel of light. And they would have none of it. Why? Because they reject the light. Because they don't want to change. They want to keep their life. Let me give you an example again from thanks for the feedback. As I did a study at Harvard, they found there's three types of feedback that we all need. And we all get. They call it ACE. Appreciation. Man, I really appreciate the work you do around here. I'm so thankful for how you handle that project. But I'm really proud of the way that you, um, you know, initiated today after the, the tennis match. I saw you go over and talk to somebody who looked like they needed a friend. Appreciation feedback. That's the easy stuff to, to incorporate. 
Another type of, of feedback is coaching. I got an idea how this might be a little bit better, how this you know, might improve in this area. There's a third type of evaluation, right? This didn't work. You didn't make your numbers. You didn't you get the goals. You guys lost the game. All three are important, but often we don't have enough appreciation in our families, in our relationships, in our companies. And most people are saying, oh, I get plenty of evaluation. I just don't get a lot of appreciation that we could appreciate more. But they said the other problem is that when you try and combine coaching and evaluation, it rarely works. And here's the example Sheila gives. She said, you remember when you got your grade in college and you got your paper back? What's the first thing you did? And maybe the, the, the teacher wrote some notes about ways you could write better in the column on the left or right side, right? Did you read those first? What's the first thing you did when you got the paper? You get the grade, right? So the first thing is you look at the grade. And as soon as you look at the grade, that's your evaluation. Based on the evaluation, you made a decision both of which rejected the coaching. One example is you get an F or a D, and you're like, what is wrong with this teacher? I have never gotten a D in my life. I spent six hours on this. You immediately reject the evaluation and build the case as to why they're wrong. Now, are you going to accept the coaching of this person who's such an idiot they couldn't recognize your good work? Right? You've already turned off the coaching because of the evaluation. Or maybe you got another A. You got the A, and they wrote a few things in the corner. You're like, what do I need that for? I got an A. So either way, you missed out on the coaching because, one, you rejected the person, or the other thing is you didn't need it. And so making distinctions between evaluation, coaching, and appreciation are three ways that they teach on how to receive feedback. She also says that often it's the relational, there's a relational component. That sometimes you're foolish in one relationship and not another. She said her husband is also a trained negotiating technique uh, uh, trainer. So imagine their marriage conversations to negotiate trainers from Harvard. He came home one day and said, man, I just met this new friend at work. We had this great conversation. He shared with me something about my presentation. And this, this thing I've been doing for years, I didn't realize it was so helpful. And he's showing with his wife, it's really, really great. This insight I got, some changes I want to make. Isn't that awesome? What? I've been saying that for 10 years. 10 years I've been saying that very thing. And we rejected it because it came from our spouse. And, and our spouse is a category we've given them. Oh, they don't get it. They're not, whatever it is. So, or because we're emotionally close, we feel criticized because we don't feel appreciated by them because they kind of want Chad 2.0 or Beth 2.0. And we don't really feel the coaching. We just feel the criticism. So how do we handle fools? Well, fools are not going to receive light. So you don't use reason and you don't use rebuke. In fact, the Bible says, do not rebuke a fool according to his folly. Why in the world the fool needs the rebuke the most? Because fools aren't going to accept it. They're going to blame you for it. Instead, for fools, you have to use boundaries and consequences. It's the only thing they appreciate. You can't reason with them. Hey, listen, if that happens again, um, let me clearly understand. This is the boundary. This is what happened. Well, I don't agree with it. You don't need to agree with it. But this is the boundary. If you come in after 10 o'clock, okay, that's the boundary. Consequence is you're going to lose your phone for a week. Do you understand the boundaries? Well, I don't like it. Well, I didn't say you have to like it. I just want to know if you understand it. Okay, so there's the consequences. Because you tried to reason. You spent weeks trying to reason with it, and that didn't work. You spent months trying to reason with it. And you thought you were dealing with a wise person, but you're not. You're now talking to a fool. You need to understand that if you do not get your sales up, boundary, the consequence is you're going to be put on probation. And the deadline is April 1st. Now listen, I'm for you. I want to help you. I think there's some, uh, let me know how I can come around inside you. So it's very highly supportive. 
But very clear boundary, very clear consequence. And here's why you have to use boundaries and consequences with fools. Because fools are not going to change until it hurts bad enough. That's why wisdom is laughing at the fool. Because until it's painful enough, they're not going to change. So wisdom, who wants people to make good decisions, laughs at calamity. Yeah, that's not going to work. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Why is wisdom laughing? Because wisdom knows that fools only learn through pain. It's going to take a storm and a whirlwind and anguish and terror. Like Proverbs says that better is one rebuke to a wise man than a thousand lashes to a fool. So, the quicker you can bring boundaries and consequences to play for a foolish person, the quicker they're going to change because they only learn through consequences. The second thing why we use boundaries and consequences is because a fool only change when they feel it. They can't imagine what it might be, reason what it might be. They've got to feel it. That's why it says, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame from himself. You try and correct him, use rebuke, it's not going to work. He who rebukes a wicked man, you're only going to harm yourself. They're going to come after you. You're the problem. You shouldn't have said this. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you, because he's not going to adjust his life to the light. Rebuke a wise man, he will love you still. Now, Henry Cloud has a great book which really details how to do this in a lot of specifics. It's called, un, it's called Necessary Endings. He was coaching a... Uh, a high-end leader who had some great performers on a sales team who had incredible potential. I mean, these were highly talented, highly skilled. This one guy in particular. He said, you know, I reason with him. I've talked with him. No matter what I do, I, I know this person's talented, but I cannot get the results out of them. He said, well, you need to use boundaries and consequences. He said, so here's what I want you to do. So coach him. I want you to sit down with this person. We'll call him Tim. I want you to tell Tim, Tim, I really want you to succeed in this job. I am for you. High emotional support, S1. I am with you, and and I really think you can do great work here. I know you have the potential. I know you have the skills. I know you have the ability. But so far, we haven't seen it. And so I want you to know, I'm at your disposal, but, and I want some, let me tell you what, and here's the distinction you need. Let me tell you what I, I need in this job this job entails somebody who's proactive, who doesn't make excuses, somebody who can get results done when there isn't clarity of exactly how we're going to do it. That's what I need in this job. And I hope, highly emotional, I hope you can be that person. I want you to be that person. But if you can't be this person, as defined by the boundaries of what I just defined as the job description, I'm going to have to find somebody else. I don't want, I don't want to do that. And you don't want to do that. And I think you've got everything in you to do that. But if this isn't done in this way, the consequences we're going to find. So that was one of the techniques he talked about in how do you have an uplifting, upbeat, positive conversation that's really about performance issues with boundaries and consequences. Anyway, the book Necessary Endings gives lots and lots of examples how to do that in parenting situations, in work situations, if that's helpful to you. Then there's a third category. The third category are the dangerous and the evil. This is somebody who has actually become dangerous to your company, dangerous to your life. This is somebody that you can't reason with them, you can't set boundaries with them. They are out to destroy you, and you cannot reason with somebody who's trying to kill you. You can only protect yourself. The Bible uses lots of words for it, and here it's, if sinners entice you, don't consent, don't give in, don't reason with them, pull away from this group. 
If they say, come with us, we're going to lie in wait to shed blood. These, these are murderers. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us sh- swallow them alive like the grave or sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Now, these are not good people. You know, you didn't catch that. And, and so when you get around people who are just dangerous and evil... This is not time to say, well, do you really think it's a good idea to maybe steal and kill people? I mean, that might be nice people, right? No, if somebody is out to kill people, you're not going to reason them out of this. Well, you know, I'll go as long as we, you know, carve up their arms and don't actually kill them, right? You don't use boundaries and consequences. You avoid dangerous, evil people. You protect yourself from evil and dangerous people. You don't consent. You move away. Another proverb talks with this idea of of uh, do not cast your lot when you're invited cast your lot among the evil let us have the purse my son don't walk in the way with them no, don't even walk near them keep your distance from them keep your foot from their path for their feet run toward evil and they make haste to shed blood and honestly that's why we have guns and lawyers that's honestly why we have it because there are evil people out there and you might say I don't believe in evil well live long enough and you'll find some we have somebody came to our church years ago and said, you know what, spiritually, I wasn't really into spiritual things, and I didn't really believe in good and evil. And then I came face to face with evil. I was treated in a way that was just horrifically evil, and it was ongoing over time. And the reality of evil is what started me in my spiritual pilgrimage to say, oh my goodness, I've never encountered such evil before. And that person ended up coming to Horizon, growing for a while, eventually reading the Bible, believing in Jesus. But she would say she began with her revelation of evil. Now, in all of us is some evil. But there are some people evil is driving, and they've been driving for a long time, and you've got to protect yourself from people who are evil. And that's why even Paul went through the legal system. You know, he appealed to Caesar as he was trying to get rights because his rights were being violated. He was stoned as a Roman citizen, and so he appealed to the justice system at the time. He protected himself. Even Jesus, when he talks to his disciples, he turns to them one time, and he says, hey, um, Peter, I think, turns to Jesus and says, hey, I've got two knives. And Jesus says, that's enough. Okay, good. You got your knives because you were walking along on paths where there were ambushers who would come and try and attack you on the field. There were wild animals that would try and get at you. And so you had to be able to defend yourself. And so even in the Levitical Code and the Mosaic Law, it taught about self-defense. Murder and self-defense were very different. And our law system in America is built on these ideas that Moses came up with. That because you love yourself and you're made in God's image, you have the right to defend yourself against evil or things trying to do you harm. So, all of this idea comes into how do you deal with the strokes as you protect yourself from evil people and you avoid evil situations rather than getting in them. Now, I had a situation like that a couple years ago. I've got really, really high boundaries for my own integrity. And so, you know, I don't meet with women for lunch. I, you know, have filters on my, my, my computer system. I just try and really keep a high bar of integrity. I just know too many pastors and too many priests who become a sad story for the people who attend the congregation. And so if I'm writing a text that involves a woman, I usually have my wife sitting next to me. Uh, I you don't, have, don't disclose personal information to women of, of people of the opposite sex. It's just kind of the way I protect myself. Well, we had a person who was interacting with our family and being very, very helpful years ago. And the person was getting a little from being helpful to being needy, which is fine. So again, I'm a pastor. I want to be helpful. But every interaction was feeling a little more personal. I could feel my spidey sense going up. And so I had my wife sitting with me as I was writing this email to say, I think this is appropriate. What's a woman's perspective? I'm going to pass this off to somebody else because it's, it's, it's moving from professional to personal. 
A couple months went by, and I get an email that this person who emailed me said, hey, I want you to know I have feelings for you. I said, well, um, wife's watching the phone with me. Hey, sounds like you need to, you know, reconnect with your, with your spouse. Just know I'm no longer going to have contact with you because I'm not the right person to help you if that's the case. And this person had moved from, you know, at times a very wise person to sometimes I'd seen the sort of foolish push and take over, but now they'd move into danger. Doesn't mean God doesn't love them, doesn't mean that God's not going to work with them, but now it was dangerous to me personally, it was dangerous to me professionally, and I was not the right person, so I broke off contact. And some of the accusations that came my way, thank goodness, every text I had written, which was like three, all of which were nondescript uh, data points related to a Bible passage, um, thank goodness my wife had been there, so I had an incredible um, wall of data, and of course my wife and I have a very trusting relationship, but I was so glad that I had those walls of protection, but I had to, with somebody that I was friends with, had to step away and pull away from them. You've heard my conversations about my brother and my sister-in-law, how for 10 years I had to step away because the, the boundaries of this person become dangerous. Unless you let me cuss your wife out for 30 minutes, we're not going to have a relationship. Sounds like we're not going to have a relationship. But if at any time you want to have a different conversation where we don't cuss each other out or we share our disagreements, I would love to talk. I have not gotten any phone calls in the last 10 years. So I withdrew from a dangerous relationship and I set up the boundaries for how we could have a relationship. And that's how you interact between these three. Different strokes for different folks. And that's why we're encouraging you to read through the Bible. To look into these passages together. We're saying, hey, a chapter a day keeps the foolishness away. Some of the instincts that's in Proverbs are not intuitive in your family upbringing. It's not intuitive in our culture. So we need ancient wisdom to help guide us through how to handle these circumstances. Because whoever you're interacting with, here's the truth. You're not going to know what to do, reason, boundaries, withdrawal, unless you know who you're talking to, wise, fool, or dangerous. There's going to be some relationships you're going to have to let go. And it's going to be sad. These were good friends for a long time. These are your kids' friends, but they're leading them down the wrong path. You're going to have to let go of some things that you really cared about. Other times, you're going to have to let go of trying to make everybody happy because you've got to say the last 10%. And some words are going to have to come out of you that you don't really want to say, but for the sake of a long-term relationship, you're going to have to put some boundaries and consequences in place. You're going to have to let it go. Your fear of, of conflict. The fear of things not everybody being happy all the time. I had a conversation recently with a friend here at Horizon, and I was walking through these three steps, these three types of people. And we got to the conversation, and she said, you know, this is so helpful. You know, I, I've been trained in, in, in people skills for many, many years. I just never heard these distinctions. It's so helpful to understand that I've been dealing with a person who's a fool and dangerous as if they're wise, and that's why I'm not getting anywhere. So as you listen to this next song, I want you to maybe ask God during the song, God, what do I need to let go of? Thinking I can change somebody through being reasonable maybe i need to let go of somebody because i need to realize that some people just have to learn the hard way and i don't want to see my kids in pain i don't want to see my employees in pain but unfortunately i have to let go of the idea that i can save people from their own consequences others of us we're going to have to let go of an actual relationship because it's become dangerous and we need to protect ourselves from that danger until that person gets somebody new driving their life so you hear this next song ask yourself what do you need to let go We're very glad that uh, you joined us this morning, and this is hard stuff. 
You know, uh, it's easy for us to talk about and to stand up here and sing about letting things go. It's tough stuff. We're all having it a part of our lives. I'm living in the middle of that myself. And uh, we hope that today gave you a little help, a little, a little encouragement, and a little bit of faith that you can lean into on this topic of letting things go and moving on and living the good life. We hope uh, you'll come back and continue to join us on the Word to the Wise series. We'll see you next week. Have a great day.